waiting to see whether Uruguay scraped through to the World Cup. Welcome to episode 126 of Hand of Pod. This is uh, 27 minutes in and it's still nil-nil uh, in Montevideo between Uruguay and Jordan. We're not a Uruguayan football podcast, of course, but uh, we do like to, to spread our wings a little and, and consider events on the other side of the Rio de la Plata from time to time, even if we don't discuss them. So we've got that on whilst we record. I'm Sam Kelly, and welcome back uh, to Santiago Muniagurria's living room. Hello, everyone. We're also joined by the very Latin-named uh, Andres Bruckner. Hello, how are you? And by the equally Latino, uh, Rob Brown. Hi. Um, Rob is... Uh, why are you here, Rob? Tell I'm us. here because I like Juan Román Riquelme. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. That's Rob. about a romanticised version of it, but it's uh, further, closer to the truth than I'd care to admit. Rob is a professional Riquelme fan, in short, and uh, apparently a Hand of Pod listener. If, if you are a Hand of Pod listener yourself and you'd like to be on the podcast, it really is as easy as coming to Buenos Aires and tweeting me and just waiting for me to invite you on. Um, we're not very demanding. Um, we do have a, an enjoyable weekend of, of shit to talk about. Um, there are internationals, of course, and this being Argentina, there are also non-internationals. We'll be discussing a little bit of why that is later on, because uh, part of it is caused a bit of a ruckus between the national side and one of the country's biggest clubs. But first of all, we're going to go to the beautiful city of Santa Fe, in our mind's eye. I've never been to Santa Fe, I've no idea whether it's beautiful or not. Um, where probably the biggest story of the weekend unfolded, at least in the domestic league, um, because there were only nine matches played this weekend when there should have been ten. Colón, um, Colón aren't on strike, but their players are. The, the institution is very much trying to, to keep going, although it's sort of imploding around itself at the moment. Um, they were initially scheduled to play uh, home to Atletico Rafaela on Friday afternoon at four or five. I think this came up while we were recording last week, didn't it? Because they, they seemed to change it during the recording session, which confused me when I came to, to read out my Mystic Sam predictions. Um, it was then moved for no stated reason to Monday at five o'clock, just because this is Argentina, I suppose. Um, and then when Monday at 5 o'clock came round, the Colón players were not in the stadium. Rafaela's players were, were warming up. And after about an hour or so, Rafaela's players left the stadium and headed back to Rafaela, which is about 90 kilometres away from Santa Fe. Um, so the match very much was not going to take place. The Colón players didn't show up because they're protesting. They're on strike at the club. Some of them are owed seven months' wages. Some of them are owed one or two months' wages. Have um, Uruguay just missed another chance? Yeah, well, they certainly did. Uh, according to Adrian Bastia, who these days is playing for Rafaela, but who um, joined them from Colón, uh, he says that some of his ex-teammates who he's kept in contact with her are owed wages dating back to one year, although none of the media picked up and actually backed that quote up, uh, but this is what Bastia says. Uh, whichever way, Colón are in crisis. Herman Lepce, the, the president, has resigned his charge, having been 
away on medical uh, leave when when Monday's shit hit the fan. Um, and it's interesting to say that Lerche is uh, more or less the right hand of Glongona, yeah. and he was supposed to be the main candidate for being the after president when Glongona retires. Indeed. Which has meant, of course, that uh, Colon had a certain amount of help from the AFA at times in instances like this. Uh, Colon have already had six points deducted, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, um, for non-payment of a transfer dating back to 2007. Uh, when, when English Dan was on, we talked about that one, because it meant that Racing were no longer bottom of the league. <laughs> um, Colon are now, uh, under AFA regulations, Colon should have three points deducted, and this match should be recorded as a 1-0 win to Rafaela. Um, but the AFA are doing everything they can at the moment to ensure that it gets played in a couple of weeks' time in the middle of the week. Because Herman Lerche, although he's no longer president of Colón, has obviously got his allies there still whenever the new president does come in. Um, and the AFA are very eager to, to pat the backs of the right people, as we know. Um, I've been talking for a very long time, so does somebody else want to take the baton up and, and talk about this? It's funny how... Um the the president of Colón uh, and some some people in the uh, in the management were saying, yeah, okay, uh, we haven't paid them for seven months, for eight months, but they haven't won ten matches, so what they expect, which is a <laughs> it's a very nice, uh, it's a very funny reason not to pay your employees. You know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, <laughs> if you're paying them, they might feel a bit more motivated. Um, that, that, that's it, really, isn't it? Yeah. What else can we say? It's, uh, we, it's we'll also discuss funny. the implications for the title race, of course, a little bit later, because we're going to talk about the title race, and uh, and, and this this match to be played does have implications for it. But in terms of Colón, are they going to get dragged down to the relegation zone? If they have three points deducted, then they're very much going to be in the relegation battle, aren't they? Because um, at the moment, they are... On a bottom. They're only one point clear of uh, All Boys and Godoy Cruz in the relegation table. They've got 112, All Boys and Godoy Cruz each have 111, Argentinos have 110. If Golan have three points deducted, they'll drop below all of those clubs, they'll be second bottom in the relegation table. Um, it, it also strikes me as funny how um, if someone dies in your stadium, maybe you get one, one suspension or two suspensions where you can't play with home fans, but if you happen to owe money to FIFA, then you get six points deducted. <laughs> like the, the penalties uh, seem to be finally rewarded for this um, this kind of thing. Some of those is different people setting the penalties. Of course, it's the AFA or the or Argentine law versus FIFA global rulings. Um, but yeah, absolutely, it doesn't always fit the crime. Yeah. Especially six hundred thousand dollars was the fee that was owed to Atlante. And today, Ronaldo said, said said today that uh, Colón will be the only last team. Uh, that there is no any more money and the last team to be helped will be Cologne <laughs> there's so no more money because it's all in Cologne's Swiss bank account so we, <laughs> we assume that Cologne will be helped and we can't say that there won't be anything helped because well uh, with Fútbol para todos apparently teams will uh, be more uh, will have more money available to, to solve these problems about uh, wages uh, that Cologne players don't uh, uh, aren't paid their wishes since March and and and, and I, I heard Rivari saying a player, a Colon player, former Boca Juniors player, mm. that uh, they waited too long to do this and that's right because they waited too long and they decided it in the middle of the well they 
they they decided it when Rafaela players were already there. Indeed, yes. So it's it's oh, that's also silly. It's it's hilarious because uh, all, all all the people who are there, well, the the, the the commentators who are there, which is the less important part, but uh, they were there and and you know, we won't play. It has that's complicates things a bit more. I think. Yeah. Uh, the other point, of course, is that Rafaela's players, when uh, Teme Publica were, were covering the first half in inverted commas, um, they were interviewing Rafaela players during the warm-up that Rafaela were, were still doing at this point, like 20 minutes before kick-off. At kick-off time, Rafaela players were still warming up, and they were going over to the TV cameras at the side of the gymnasium uh, inside Colón Stadium and saying, you know, we, we want to play. If Colón's players turn up in an hour's time, um, then we'd like to play, because there, were, there was talk about the match being reprogrammed for, for 8.30 on Monday night. Um, institutionally, of course, Rafaela's president and, and, and directors were completely against this. So Rafaela, under AFA uh, rulings, Rafaela are perfectly within their rights to say, no, we're not playing the game, we want points. Um, as it is, of course, if, if the game does get played, Rafaela will probably get the points anyway. Um, but, you know, Rafaela don't have to if they don't want to. And yet... Colón, within the context of Argentine football outside Buenos Aires province, are a big club. Rafael, very, very much not. Yeah. Um, so even if it weren't for Leche being the right-hand man of Grondona, as Santiago puts it, um, it would still be all very murky and slightly unsurprising that this match actually looks like it's going to be played, even though that would involve the AFA breaking their own rules. It wasn't the only thing that happened this weekend um, in the football in Argentina. Um, there were some other matches as well. There were nine games that did take place. We were in the 16th round of the Torneo Inicial, which means there are only three matches to go now. And we saw another uh, bunch of surprises. Mystic yeah. Sample, one out of nine. It would be two out of ten. But as we say, Rafael and Colón didn't actually take place. When it does get played, my, my average will go up a tiny little bit. Um, <laughs> I have full confidence in Rafael. That was the one match, as I said last week, I think, when I was reading out the predictions. That was the only match that I felt any real confidence in because last week was very hard to, hard to call and it was the one match that didn't bloody take place. Um, <laughs> well, but play, playing or not, they should win the match. And if you said... Precisely. If you said that uh, your uh, mystic some predictions were that Rafaela would win the match and it wasn't so so wrong. No, ho- hopefully not. Hopefully they, they get it. Um... Anyway, results that did happen. We had a couple of, of five-goal thrillers. We had one six-goal thriller. Um, one of the five-goal thrillers, the first of them, was on Saturday afternoon, where all boys took a 2-0 lead. All boys have made a habit of starting strongly. Mauro Matos scored the first, scored both of the goals, one from the penalty spot, one with his head. Um, Mauro Matos has scored more first goals than anybody else in the Primera this season. <laughs> Can you believe that? Isn't he the goal scorer in this yes. Uh, tournament? Yes, he goes. Like yes, he's, he's the top scorer and he scored more first goals as well. Uh, all boys are 17th in the table, having scored 14 times. So that, that puts that into context. In the second half, the second that Santiago Silva's shot hit the net to make it 2-1 and put Lanús back into the game, you just knew that Lanús were going to win it. I mean, Lanus. Yeah, when they score, they score a good number of times. Lanús have scored 14 goals in the last five league games. 17 in the last six games, if you uh, sorry, 17 in the last eight games, if you include the two legs of the Copa Sudamericana quarterfinal against River Plate. Um, they're on fire. They've won five in a row in the yeah. league. Yeah, they've really hit their stride. I mean, uh, when 
when they got their uh, their players at the beginning of the season, I thought that they were one of the strongest teams. In fact, in my predictions, I, I predicted that they, they would win the championship, and I was like a bit underwhelmed when mm. they, they hit this kind of mid-tournament uh, low. And Dresden, I was saying mm-hmm. last week, I think it was last week, it might have been when, when English Dad was on two weeks ago, but... Um, that Lanus over the last few years, almost regardless of who the manager is and who the playing staff are, have had a bit of a habit of starting quite slowly and then really picking up in the second half of the of the championship all the time. Even when they won it in 2007, Apertura was it? Um, when they were runners up in 2000, I think it might have been the 2010 Clausura, one of those. Um, in almost every case where they've come close to winning the title, it's been just a relatively ordinary first five matches and then they've suddenly hit the strike and I mean it, it's multiplied by ten this time around because they're, just, they're winning everything they never yeah. look like losing and they're going to Paraguay to play Libertad for the semi-finals of the Sudamericana so they you know, have to take that into account you know that's tomorrow night or rather tonight by the time this is online or possibly right now uh, <laughs> depending on how, how quickly I manage to get this edited tomorrow Coincidence or not I, uh, they, they won a second consecutive match for 3-2 three, three Mm. Uh, away uh, match yeah. and against Tigre it was a strange match because they were one month uh, one more man than one more player than, than Tigre and they like got asleep and Tigre almost ties the, the, the game draws the game but in this case it was the other way around they they were uh, losing to nil and then they turned around the, the score yeah and, and in fact it's in the league it's the third match in out of four that they've won 3-2 because the last as I said they've won five in a row those five have been 3-0 against Colón 3-2 against San Lorenzo at home 3-2 against Tigre away 2-0 against Arsenal at home last Monday and 3-2 against All Boys Um, so conceding isn't something they're too concerned about but scoring certainly is Yeah, you can say that if you want to see a match with a lot of goals interesting football and, and, and they are, they are pl- full of confidence on their on their attack because they they also concede goals, but they score more. So it's yeah. Um, I I mentioned uh, earlier that we'd had um, two five goal thrillers and one six goal thriller. This is because I completely forgot that in fact we had three five goal thrillers um, because as so many people tend to, I, I forgot about Arsenal. Um, we're going to talk about that one. In, in a very short while because not one but two people in this room at the moment were, were at that match uh, but Rosario Central um, this wasn't really so much of a thriller to be honest actually but Southfield took a very cantery sort of 3-0 lead uh, away to Central and then Central woke up with five minutes to go and score twice to make it semi-interesting going into stoppage time same as Lanús against Tigre the same the same very similar case. yes yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, Lanús against Tigre uh, two, two weeks ago of course, um, yeah, this young guy Cáceres was this his was first goal in Primera it was his, I don't think it was his first goal. it was among his first uh-huh. if, if it wasn't his it's first a hat trick for Vélez yes. actually yeah. really impressive yeah. the first goal was particularly good yeah. lovely little move they put together mm-hmm. Se- Sebastián Domínguez yeah. said that he was similar of course he said in a, no not as a joke but a uh, taking uh, understanding the difference between aware of which in Europe and that stuff <laughs> that uh, that Cases had something some things similar to to Aguero. Yeah, it must be for a little bit of context. Yeah. Sergio Aguero was 15 when he made his Independiente debut. Ramiro Cáceres is 19, um, so perhaps a couple of years behind. But yeah, this was certainly 
We also have Manuel Sarate congratulating him on Twitter for his hat trick because, of course, Casares is replacing Sarate. Sarate is out injured at the moment. Um, very impressive performance from Vélez until those, those last 10 minutes. And let's not forget as well, Central were on a seven match unbeaten run before that game. Yeah, um, Central had a very good streak. So, and Vélez. a really good way for Vélez to, to react to going out the Copa Sudamericana. Yeah. And, you know, they clearly put too many eggs in the Sudamericana basket because they're only mid table still now. Um, but I suspect that they're going to be playing a fairly experimental side for the last couple of rounds but one that's as a result of being experimental as a result of including a lot of kids as Gareca has a habit of doing when he's out of championships mm-hmm. late on um, that this is going to be a way of blooding a side that could turn into competitors for, for the Donnell final um, right. they should be very very competitive do you think Gareca is staying for well, we'll see. next tournament? I think Gareca is, is, is putting these players out now to give them the experience whether he's still the manager when who gets the benefit of that experience in six months yeah. to a year's time is another matter um, also on Saturday a couple of hours no sorry not on, on also on Saturday on Saturday evening the Central Valdez game was on the first match on Sunday the final match on Saturday was the sixth goal um, 4-2 sounds kind of comfortable but in fact Belgrano pulled it back to 2-2 at one point um, about an hour in before San Lorenzo very quickly hit back to make it 3-2 and eventually ran out 4-2 winners that was a really entertaining match yeah don't worry about it I was supposed to be there and I was talked out of going by a certain podcast host who you, were, you were talked out of potentially killing yourself by <laughs> to the oh, yeah, in the middle of the night well um, that's what I remember happening yeah there's something along those lines either way it was a fantastic game and watching it at home almost made up for <laughs> not being there in person Angel Correa with yet another goal if we're talking about young goal scorers Angel Correa is probably a name we haven't mentioned blimey <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. This is one of our momentary exclamations, which make no sense whatsoever when you're hearing this back at the moment. But um, Uruguay's number three has just hit the crossbar from half a yard out with a header. That's remarkable. This is kind of kind of late. It is. <laughs> yes. um, anyway, as I was saying, Angel Correa is a name that we've we've mentioned a couple of times in Hand Pop, but perhaps haven't quite given him as much of a mention as he deserves, given that he's arguably one of the revelations of the Pontnail. Yeah, he's absolutely um, fantastic. He's been in brilliant form and he scored a really nice Providing goal. that Verón, Gonzalo Verón and, and Cauterucho are, are, are injured. Absolutely. He yeah. had to get into the pitch in a, not the, be, the best way because you are replacing players that are injured. But and like Caceres, he's only 19 years old. So I suppose by my own logic, that means he's not as good as Aguero. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but still, he, he's, he's playing fantastically. Cesar Pereira scored both for Belgrano, the first of which was quite a nice little finish as well. Romario style Topok just after running he's doing through. very well uh, I, I really like Pereira and I think he should get a chance in a bit of a bigger club I think, I think he's an utter ass, but then I'm a River fan so I would say that <laughs> um, just a shout out for the assist for the first Belgrano goal as well I thought that was yes. an excellent little through ball yeah, yeah. split the uh, San Lorenzo defence wide open not quite to Almodino for Cristiano Ronaldo yesterday but it, it was um, <laughs> it was a really nice pass you're right um, the other five got thriller I'm going to hand over the reins here and, and let uh, Santi and, and Rob tell us about it. Well, it was um, very Sorry, interesting. Sorry, by the way, yeah. uh, before we do, I'm just going to apologise to listeners who can hear this creaking. I'm sitting on a slightly creaky chair and it's difficult <laughs> to keep perfectly still. Carry on. Um, it was a fairly interesting evening. We got to Sarandi, which um, any Porteño listeners might recognise as not the nicest part of town. Uh, we got there quite early uh, in order to get a ticket. Huh? Bonaire Ense listeners, surely. Well, if you're Porteño, you know about it anyway. Um, 
So we, we got there quite early and they weren't selling any tickets. So because basically uh, Grondona, Grondona Jr., the president of Arsenal, said that there were to be many, too much infilt uh, infiltrated Boca fans. And he didn't want that, so he just closed the whole stadium. Can we just... Sorry, uh, yeah. Santi, I'm saying this purely because with, with our birthday edition last week and with, for some reason, the previous couple of editions have had a lot more listeners um, than previously as well. So I think we've picked up a few new listeners in recent weeks. Could you mm -hmm. explain why Arsenal's president has the same surname as the Argentine FA's president? Oh, yeah, because he's, he's there, basically. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you. Was that brief enough? That, that was just about brief <laughs> enough. Yeah, I'm sure the, the new listeners will, will pick yeah. up the idea as well in the next few weeks when we talk about all the fixing and rigging and what a horrible club Arsenal are. Sorry, Karim. <laughs> okay, so basically, uh, Grandona Jr. says, no, we're not selling tickets for Platea, and we're only selling popular tickets for Socios with their uh, their carnet uh, on day, on time, so everything has to be in the room. This was after you'd said to Rob and his mate that you'd take them purely on the condition that you were going to go in the, in the Platea. Early enough and in the Platea, yeah. Um, so we were quite frustrated because I had to take a bondi, uh, meaning a, a bus, and, um, and the two, and a taxi to get there. So it was like an hour and a half of, of, of trouble. We went for a pizza slice, and we decided to make the sensible decision. Yeah, definitely. Of going with the barras and sneaking in the popular with them. <laughs> with a gringo. Um, so... We managed to do it. Was, pull it was off. Chris with you in the end? Did he no, no. So you were no. the only gringo there. Yes. Yeah. Luckily. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a, an Argentinian friend of mine, me, and Rob here, who managed to stay, stay silent as I asked him because speaking in English next yeah. to a barra isn't the, the, the most sensible. Um, there were a few moments where I thought I probably should say something and explain that maybe we should leave. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that if I opened my mouth, I might. Relax yeah. myself just enough to shit myself with fear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were quite close to the um, El Uruguayo Uriel, who is the uh, the cap of the barra. He was organizing everything because you know when the Arsenal barra gets in, the police just stands back. They don't ask them for tickets because of the barra, and they were they realized that there was quite a lot of people there, more than usual. So they started charging entrance. The barra started <laughs> charging what they thought. Uh, that you had to pay to get in. Sorry. So at first it was 100 pesos, then five minutes after that it was 10 pesos, and then we got in for 20. 20 it wasn't too bad, I mean, 20 pesos to get in a popular. Mm -hmm. um, you'll be able to read more about this in Rob's uh, blog post, which yeah. is coming it's in a few be, days. Yeah. Yeah. I'm currently working on a, um, a three-part series entitled Looking for a Calme. Part one charts. Is now already. Yes, part one came out today. Plug, um, plug the URL. Uh, the URL, uh, well, if you go on robbro7robbro7.com, you'll be able to read part one. Uh, part two will follow sometime soon, I'm not entirely sure then. Mm -hmm. Maybe around the weekend, maybe sometime next week. Um, where were we? Yeah, so we got in and back to the match. It was uh, it was worth the effort, I'd say, because oh, it was a boring nil-nil match. And after like, you know going through a potential life risk to get there, um, it would have been quite uh, frustrating. But it was a very good match. It was uh, three-two for Arsenal. Arsenal really, started off really, really good goal to open things up. Yeah, an indirect free kick. An indirect free kick from El Bicho Aguirre, who's a bit of a hero for Arsenal fans because he's from the youth system and all. Um, just beautiful left foot yeah. curl. I think yeah. most of the goals in the match. Yeah, I thought every mm -hmm. single one of Arsenal's goals was 
almost picture perfect, the third one especially. Watching the replays of the free kick on TV was particularly amusing because the TV commentators got quite excited. They were going, there's an Arsenal player in the Boca Wall. That's never happened before. Heaven <laughs> forbid. <laughs> yeah, um, it's fair to say that uh, Orion wasn't playing for Boca, it was Tripoli, uh, their uh, substitute goalkeeper. And um, he's ex-Kilmes, so he got the worst of the Arsenal, um, Arsenal people. Oh. It was actually full of Arsenal people, even if they weren't sent tickets, because well, basically got, anyone who's in there knows He felt no responsibility in the goals, I think. Yeah. In the free kick, no? You don't think? <laughs> they, they I think the, it was beautifully the, executed. The, the players were, were wrongly... Yeah, he, yes, perhaps. The barrera, or the... The wall. The that wall wasn't... Like that. It wasn't quite well. And I'm not sure Orion would have got to the shot, but he might well have set the wall up a exactly. bit better. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was a one that that was a one nil. Yep. And then uh, two nil was a delightful chip. I've forgotten who scored. Oh yeah, it was Caraglia. 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 See, yeah, it was a kind of a um, fortunate to arrive at his feet, I'd say. Yeah. But once he once he had it in the box uh, and drew the keeper, it might as well have been Leo Messi. It was yeah. a, a chip worthy of Amazing. the great man himself. Amazing finish. And then after halftime, Boca um, pulled one out. Martin. Matias Caruso, sorry. Yeah, it was a decent cross into the box. I'm not sure if it was a free header. It seemed to go in very, very easily. I'm not sure what the marking was like. Jesus Mendes shot the corner, did not Riquelme. Yeah, Riquelme stood on the edge of the area for every every set piece. I don't know whether it was because they wanted some sort of Beckham de Scholes-esque routine where Riquelme would meet a corner with a volley. Or whether because the simple journey to the corner of the pitch and back to the middle would kill him eventually because he's so old. <laughs> he normally yes. takes the corner, so that's a good observation. I didn't notice it. Jesus uh, Menes was the one. Yeah. Yes, because, uh, I think he was wrong uh, in a very physical condition. Having said that, Riquelme had um, yes. had a, uh, an adductor strain or something a couple of weeks ago, so it might have just yeah. been that he didn't, he didn't which is why he didn't take the penalty, the penalty. when Mock got yeah. a penalty a couple of weeks ago, yeah. So it could have been something to do with that. Yeah. So it, was, uh, it seemed uh, like Boca may be able to. to pull out a, a draw and then Arsenal pulls this magnificent counter-attack goal as well yeah it all came from uh, Riquelme being Riquelme really he had the, he demanded the ball from someone um, took it to where he thought he should be and then passed to where he thought someone else should be without actually having checked first <laughs> so he only succeeded in passing to an Arsenal player when Boca's number 5 was nowhere to be seen which meant that Arsenal had an attack with a numerical advantage um, he worked it into a wide position on the left, crossed it into the box, and uh, it was met perfectly, guided into the bottom corner. Yeah, so I think yeah. Carrera was the goal scorer. So yeah. just like yeah. in 2006, Raquel was an Arsenal Ramiro. victory. <laughs> <laughs> yes, quite. We're clinging to Ramiro, the tenuous link set. Yeah. You're right, yes. Ramiro Carrera. Ramiro, yes. yeah. Yeah. And then Boca pulled another one, and it seemed like they may be able to, to make it a draw. Yeah, and that was a, a hell of a Riano. Riano, yeah. Hell of a goal for Boca, right? It was... Yes, it was, yeah. And as Rob says, it was um, magnificent. Yeah. But the, the, just the last ten minutes was unbelievably tense, considering yes. Boca had a shot that hit the post and rolled yeah. fully across the goal line and off the other side. Yeah. I looked to my right to see Santi was actually... I think, a header, if I remember right. It was, it was certainly um, I, I wasn't sure whether Santi was going to... Re- re- retain consciousness he was seemed to be on the verge of passing out <laughs> and then in the last minute practically the last kick of the match Boca I'm not sure who fired the shot it was set up perfectly from about 20 yards and he uh, smashed it 
maybe a couple of millimetres wide of the goalkeeper's left-hand post shortly yeah. after like, the final whistle, then. Bianchi, again, put a lot of men in, in attack in the last minutes. Yeah. Of course, in, or, in order to, to get the, the draw, but Arsenal is, we know it's, he, they, they defend quite well. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rob was asking me before worth, the match. It's worth saying again, though, because we, Andres and I last week were talking about the, the win over Tigre, which, as, as I think I mentioned last week, I thought was fully deserved. Bokovic, they didn't play well, but they were the better side. They deserved the win, even though the goals came in the last five minutes. But because the goals came in the last five minutes, although, you know, Bokovic were, were, were the better team, they did end the match with five forwards on, on the pitch. He was just throwing everything forward and as we criticised Luis Sibeldia for towards the beginning of the season, particularly when English Down was on, um, perhaps not, not much of a system, just throwing shit and seeing, hoping like hell that some of it will stick, yeah. as it were. Um, when we were, uh, the, the match was about to start, Rob was asking me which Arsenal players to look out for, and I, and I said, it's basically a very solid team, there aren't a lot of standouts, but this match, I think the whole left, uh, the whole left side of the Arsenal team was magnificent. Aguirre yeah. and Perez, just beautiful. Throughout the whole game, they kept pulling out these offensive plays and just yeah. the, the Boca defense didn't know what to do with them. Yeah, they were both extremely impressive. I was, they certainly left an impression on me as a first-time viewer. Right? Uh, despite the ordeal we went through to get in, I'd yeah. be extremely tempted to go back and see more of them. <laughs> That's good to hear. But I watched the game, of course, on TV, not in the stadium, but I... I saw. I watched several matches, Arsenal matches, and and, and we know that this uh, team, whole team, not uh, singular players, but in this case, I, I watched more than in other matches that they the players helping each other. Yeah. Because you see, you saw Caraglio in the third goal play, passing the ball to Aguirre, uh, I think, or Carrera, then Aguirre uh, crossing uh, with the cross, and Carrera, who had started the play. Heading the ball to to, to make it yeah, one. Yeah. It's a very solid team, and they all play yes. for each other. There's yes. nobody in there that's trying to play for himself, unlike Boca, of course. Yes, indeed. Even as a Ricardo fanboy, I was uh, inescapably aware that his influence was not necessarily a positive factor in that Boca team. Yes. I would probably go so far as saying, if they didn't have him, they'd probably have got a result in that game. Yeah. Their dependence on him subtracted somewhat from their capabilities. Even on the podcasts with no Boca fans regularly involved, that's an almost sacrilegious thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think how I feel. I've come all this way just to see the guy. Well, indeed. <laughs> Precisely. Um, we spent a fair bit of time on Arsenal Boca just now, but um, when we get around to discussing the title race uh, later on in a few minutes, um, you, you'll understand why. Very briefly, let's go through the other results from the weekend. They were Gimnasia y Grima La Plata, nil, Argentinos Juniors, nil. I'm very sad about that one Friday. because I love Argentinos winning when I'm here, so I can plug Caruso's I know you do, yeah. brilliance. I think, but I think you're going to get a yeah. win this weekend. Yeah. Honest, yeah. I think you'll be okay. And no way draw isn't too bad. Um, Godoy Cruz beat Estudiantes 2-1 with a bloody magnificent goal from Leandro Grini I have to say even though when it went Ex in Milan. I swore yeah. because it meant that my um, my prediction of a draw in that match was, was wrong strode up the pitch I mean the midfield marking was non-existent I think Estudiantes had a corner and he, he charged it down and, and just sort of cantered up the pitch and then about 35 yards from goal with three Estudiantes defenders in his way and nobody to pass to he thought I'm not going to beat these guys so we just absolutely walloped it into the top corner um, <laughs> it, was, it was unspectacular dribble but, but a really 
amazing finish. Um, Quilmes and Racing Club drew 1-1. Another debut goal in that one from um, Juan, Juan Ignacio, is it? Dineno. Um, number nine who came on for well he's not his, his squad number isn't number nine but he is a number nine he came on to replace uh, Luciano Mietto I think it was when Mietto went off injured Valentin Miola then went off injured um, about an hour in um, by which time Dineno had already scored the equaliser uh, Miguel Caneo would put Guilherme up just before half time and Dineno came on at half time and well a minute into the second half so um, and scored a minute later with a uh, Scrappy finish, but potentially the first of many, because apparently in, in the reserves he, he's been quite well, something for some time. Um, so remember the name, Dineno, another kid who everybody's suddenly with him and Gaston Campi. Even though Racing have not had a very good season so far, a lot of people are getting quite excited yet again for the second time in like a year and a half about the number of players coming through the youth ranks at the moment. Obviously, we've got Rodrigo de Paul, Ricardo Centurion, uh, a whole bunch of others, Vieto and, and Miola, of course, as well. Um, San Lorenzo Belgrano we've talked about Central Venice we've mentioned um, Tigre came from uh, behind to beat Newell's Old Boys 2-1 we're going to talk about that in a very short while but first of all River Plate from bad to worse <laughs> Giovanni just, Simeone Giovanni Simeone finally scores for them Was it? I don't think it was his first goal no no, no but second. it might have been his, no, his second, second. second yeah. Yeah. he scored from um, a corner hit by Fabro and then Andrada had uh, and then yeah. Simeone hits it in yeah um, but it was his uh, his first first goal, let's say, his first sort of goal that was during the match, as it were, because that one was in stoppage time really late on after it missed a few. Yeah. Uh, eight minutes in, he gave River Plate the lead, 1-0 against Olimpo, and you thought, well, both of these sides are so bloody awful that nobody's going to be able to stage a comeback from here. I, I said prior to the match, I think if there is a goal, if either of these sides actually manage to score... That's going to be it because the <laughs> other team just aren't going to be good enough to score against yeah. them. Particularly in Rivers' case because Rivers have got a fairly decent defence. And it turns out that maybe Rivers' defence is even more reliant on Eder Alvarez, Balanta, and Marcelo Barravero in goal than we thought. Balanta's away with Colombia um, for the first time, as we mentioned in passing last week. Barravero was injured. He's expected to be back this weekend. Thank fuck. Um, Olimpo took advantage. Martin Perez Guedes scored a that was the, the really good the one, wasn't it? That was the yeah. volley from just outside the area, just before half time. Some, to make some it people said that the Chichisola, the the the, the, uh, the goalkeeper that replaced uh, Barbero, was late, uh, mm. throwing himself to catch the ball. I'm not and sure. I'm, I'm not so sure. It was a very well struck shot. There were no players uh, going per- to Perez to, to to prevent him from yeah. shooting, so it was a shared responsibility in that case. Yeah. And also, I mean, it went right in the bottom corner as well. It's not like it was two yards from, from Chichi Solo as he stood in the middle of the goal or anything. Um, Ivan Furios and uh, Diego Vega with a... I, I still can't work out whether Diego Vega meant it or not. It seemed almost like he mishit it. Slightly cause it well, oh no, it, it hit the wall, sorry, didn't it? It hit the, somebody's head in the wall and looped up and over Chichi Sola. Um, made it 3-1 to Olimpo. So Olimpo have now beaten River and Boca... And they're really in the relegation zone. Boca, who might actually win the title, still. Um, Olimpo won three games, two of them, River and Boca. Yeah. And as Mariano tweeted, when when Olimpo's third went in, this could be the worst River Plate side ever. It's worth remembering that the River Plate side that got relegated two and a half years ago had actually just finished seventh in the season long. Uh Primera table. That season, that team wasn't 
actually so bad. Yeah. bad. However, um, the Simeone-led team one, that was last, pardon? the Simeone-led team that was last in the tournament, yeah, they were champions they, before, but I don't know how that even happened. No, no, that, that would be... Uh, they, they'd be up there. Mm-hmm. But they didn't appear to lack yeah. this much direction. It's, it's a big thing for Olimpo. I, I don't think... Of course. I, yeah. I don't know if it's their first win in the Monumental, but it's not far from that. Mm. It's... Massive. I think it's the first in the Monumental. They beat River 4-0, no, is it? Um, yeah, yeah, in, in Bayer Blanca. So, yeah, probably the first in the Monumental. No, there was a, another one in Monumental. Okay. I don't know if it was... It was four... I don't know if Dillard won, but they scored four goals in Monumental before. Actually, yeah. hang on. There's, um, we can click. Well, I think it was Jorge Gordillo, the, the, the coach, uh, the River Plate coach. Mm-hmm. He was an uh, intern coach. Okay. I think. It's not, it's not on, no, it's not on here. here, but yeah, you're right, it might have been. No, yeah, yeah, look, it's 1-3. Oh, no, it's this one. Ramon <laughs> <laughs> um, Diaz responded to this match by cancelling the press conference, and then on Monday he held him and Andemiliano, who Oxford United fans will be very happy to hear the name of, um, <laughs> held a joint press conference. Emiliano, of course, for the benefit of those who don't support Oxford, is Ramon Diaz's son and popularly remembered as the worst player ever to play for Oxford United. And also possibly the worst assistant manager ever to assist yeah. a manager at River Plate. Um, there's a particularly amusing Twitter, Twitter account called Lagorda Niembro here who constantly takes the piss out of uh, Emiliano Diaz for playing a football manager game whilst he should be actually managing the team, basically. Um, they gave a joint press conference in which they said that uh, they were going to put their contracts at the disposition of the new president because... As listeners who were here last week will remember, River have presidential elections next week, and in spite of that, Daniel Passarella gave, who has already announced that he's not going to be standing for re-election, gave Ramon Diaz and Emiliano Diaz new contracts through to 2015 uh, uh, a week ago. Um, yeah. Initially three weeks ago, but that one wasn't ratified by the board, so we gave him another one last week. Um, which obviously is quite a political move against whoever you know, whoever comes in is almost by default going to be Passarella's political opponent within River um, and Diaz clearly realising uh, what side his bread was buttered on decided to, to announce that when the new president comes in whoever it is Diaz and, and, and Diaz will present their contracts to the president and just say just fill in the numbers whatever you think we're worth pay us that we don't want to be taking more money from the club than we need to which when you compare his salary to the salary that Matias Almeida took when he was managing River in the B which was almost nothing um Makes you wonder who's telling the truth, really, doesn't it? <coughs> Diaz is a canny operator. Yeah. Let's get on to Team Green Newells, because this one, Newells had drawn three in a row. Fabian Munoz scored and then knocked himself almost unconscious by falling flat on his face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Painful looking. He collided with the goalkeeper in the act of, of chipping the goalkeeper, basically, and fell literally head first on, uh, into the floor. Um, I thought Ruskusheda's first name was Fabian, but this has got no, Sebastian. S- Sebastian. Yes. Ruskusheda, who was by far the best player in the first half, equalised for Tigre with about 10 minutes of it to go. And then Gaston Diaz scored a penalty. The reason that the Gaston Diaz penalty to win it um, is, 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 is important as a penalty was that W. Tresegain missed a penalty. Yeah. And I do mean missed, I don't mean had it saved. He blasted it over the bar right on the stroke of half time, the last kick of the first half. Um, and Newell's old boys have lost for the second time in five matches. The two matches, in, the three matches in between those two defeats were all draws. Yeah. Newell's, who 
a month ago, a month and a bit ago, just before the Rosario Classico, we would have said perhaps we could have even been talking about them mathematically seeing the title by yeah. now. They were that yeah, I remember it. something like eight points clear. Yeah. Um, it was by no means uh, impossible that, that we'd have been now talking about uh, uh, the B Campeonato, the successful yeah. defence of the title. Suddenly, they're a point behind San Lorenzo. They've picked up fewer points in the last five matches than any other club in the Primera, bar Racing. Uh, sorry, bar Racing have taken, I think, the same number. Um, no, River and Colón. And River and Colón, who've both taken fewer. Colón have got mm-hmm. two points in the last five matches. Racing have one. River have got four. A couple. Uh, sorry, River have got three. And that sounds about right. Um, yeah, Racing have won one, drawn one, one and one, lost one. three. So they've got yeah. the same number of points. Um, Sorry, this is the last six matches. What am I talking about? The last five, last six matches. Um, yeah, uh, Newell's. Uh, we were talking before we started recording that Newell's, Newell's confidence has just gone uh, after the loss of the Classic. They've it's wasted just, so many chances against Tigre. It was um, today on Sportia, which is the sports news here for um, one of our many sports channels in Argentina. They were saying that Newell's is definitely looking for a striker. Mm. Uh, and I've, I've been saying this forever. I, I really think that even though they have Trezeguet, they need a striker, someone like Luna, someone who's just there to make the final pass and doesn't, you know, they have quite a few strikers that get into the, the, the you know, pass the ball around, they go back, they get out of the box and try and, and fit with the, uh, you know, the, the style of play that you have, but we they need about, someone to just head it in. This yeah. is what we were saying about Fabian Munoz a few weeks ago when, when Munoz was said to be, he was going to be dropped for Trezeguet before yeah. the Colón game. Trezeguet was come, going to come in and start. Now, Fred Alberti, the Newell's manager, said, no, Trezeguet's going to stay on the bench because I think that Munoz has more to offer in the starting lineup. Yeah. And of course, in that match, Colón took a 2 0 lead. Trezeguet came on at half time to replace Munoz and scored twice yeah. to rescue a draw for Newell's. Um, this was the match after no it wasn't sorry it was two matches after the Rosario um, Classico because the, the previous one had been the draw at home to Godoy Cruz we need to put this into context it's not fair at all to talk about crisis at Newell's because it has to be remembered two years ago just yeah. under two years ago you know, two, two years minus three matches ago when um, Gerardo Martino took charge Newell's were absolutely screwed there was no way that they were going to finish last season the 2012-13 season outside the relegation zone yeah. They were miles adrift. Today, people are talking about the crisis. We're talking about the crisis. Almost nobody else has really even picked up on it. But you know, people are mm-hmm. talking about disappointment um, because they've drawn three out of five matches and yeah. suddenly they're only one point behind the title. It's got to be said they no longer look like favourites for the title, given their form and given the two, two of the three opponents that they still have to face. Um, but they have come a hell of a long way, even so. Whether Bertie's going to, well, you'd have to assume that Bertie's going to learn from this. It's his first mm-hmm. semester in charge, the first team manager. He was managing the, uh, overseeing the youth divisions at Newell's, of course, before he took over from, from Tata Martino. Is there some element of truth that they would have done differently against Tigre had Maxi Rodriguez been in their lineup? Because mm. he's an important player for them, and to lose him during the national break and to have. He is, but during the since the last international break, I think his his influence had fallen off slightly. Yes. Um, when he scored against Uruguay uh, in in the the last um, World Cup qualifier, uh, in was it a three two win for Uruguay four yeah. two win or something three, like that? High scoring anyway. Mm-hmm. Maxi scored two of, of Argentina. Or four two. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Three. Right. Four, no, three. 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 
Three two. Yeah, yeah no, it was three two. Yeah, Maxi scored both of Argentina's goals anyway. And at that point, I think he'd scored something like eight goals yeah, in his previous seven matches yeah. for club and country. Since then, I don't think he's scored any. Um, his influence has fallen off a bit. He's not looked quite as lively in midfield either. It's possible, obviously, yeah. and we're going to discuss that because one of our listeners has asked a question about uh, Agustin Orion. Um, so we're going to probably discuss that uh, in a in a short while. But it, it's worth bearing consideration. But even so, Newell's midfield is still very strong. Mm. I mean, Martin Thompson, Fabian Munoz, Tresiga along the, the front, and then Lucas Bernardi, Diego Mateo, Pablo Perez. Um, as the, the three in midfield with Horacio Ossan coming off the bench uh, and then Michel or Rinaldo Cruzado coming back from injury um, this is still a, a side that should have been able to get yeah. a better of team it's very solid but I think they're, they're very predictable as well mm. you always know what they're going to do yeah, they're getting and, a little more. and they, the, the, op- the opposing teams have gotten the hang of how Newells are going to play and they know exactly how to what to do to uh, to counterbalance their amazing midfield and amazing attacking flow um, but it's always the same. They don't have a plan B. It's always mm. pass the ball around, pass the ball around, try to see if there's an opening. You get 10 passes, 15 passes, 20 passes, but there's ne- never anything else other than that. Yeah. In a you way, need to have a plan B. In a way, it underlines the form that Lanús are in, though, because Arsenal lost away to Tigre by exactly the same scoreline back in the 12th round. Since when, uh, that sounds like a long time ago, but, but it's only two home matches ago for yeah. Tigre. Um, the intervening home match was that 3-2 defeat to Lanús. So Tigre have, in three home matches, have beaten <coughs> Arsenal, beaten, uh, sorry, I forgot the name of the team, beaten Newells, mm-hmm. you know, beaten two of the title challenges, two of the best teams in the country, and got, as, as we already mentioned, really, although it was 3-2, played off the pitch by Lanús, yeah. um, and then scored two late goals to give the, the, the scoreline some respectability when the opponents had gone to sleep. Um, and also were a bit tired from having played midweek the previous uh, match in the Copa Sudamericana. Um, so, you know, in some way, it, it undermines a the fact that Tigre are fairly handy, but also just mm-hmm. just just the kind of form that Lanús are in, as we were talking about earlier. Um, I'm going to play some music now because we've all finished our glasses and we're going to replenish those with some more ice and some more booze, and then we shall come back and talk about the internationals very briefly. controversy just yet but what we are going to talk about is the fact that for the first time since Alejandro Sabella took charge of Argentina they've kept back-to-back clean sheets um, they drew nil-nil against Ecuador I almost said away to Ecuador then but it was played in New Jersey um, <laughs> from what I've heard from a couple of people who were at the match it was essentially an away game there are far more Ecuadorians living in New York and New Jersey than there are Argentines um, and they were making a lot more noise Yes, <laughs> or the Argentines couldn't get hold of the dollars to pay the ticket. Um, it was a, a nil-nil draw though in the MetLife Stadium, followed by a trip to St. Louis, of all places. Hmm. I'm aware, by the way, American listeners, that it's one of the, the hotbeds of, of American soccer. Um, oh, is it? But it sounds a bit bizarre saying Argentina versus... So Boston why did they play in a baseball pitch if it's the hotbed of soccer? Well, because there are no very large football stadiums there now, is, is the answer to that one. Um, 
which was a 2-0 win both goals from Sergio Aguero neither particularly thrilling matches although the one against Bosnia was a decent performance from Argentina I wouldn't say it was their fault that it wasn't that, that thrilling capable in defence on both occasions the first half against Bosnia was a bit shaky but in the second they seemed to find their way again they were, they were using a back three slash back five against Bosnia um, how do we evaluate 2013 for the Argentine national team guys because they've now played their final international of the year um, I think Sabela has done a very good job I think he's um, he's trying out different tactics uh, different players now he's got most of the list most of the 23 for Brazil figured out and I'm quite confident it all goes down to the 6th of December doesn't it like it's, it's that's very I think it's that's when the World Cup really starts and yeah. if, you, if you have an easy way to the quarterfinals then it's it's way easier than if you get a the um, the raffles or the, the four um, groups of teams pots pots that's the English word the four pots are quite uneven in my opinion you could get a um, I was doing this uh, everyone has done this by now but the uh, randomizer where you get the uh, the groups and you could get a potentially you could get a group with Argentina France Italy and Mexico which is like crazy it's something that could have happened that's in 1934 yeah. or something. Can, that's considered can, can the final lineup. Exactly. Can yeah. put exactly that, uh, that, that potential group up as their group of death, except with USA replacing Mexico. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. USA are, are way the, better than Mexico. The Independent in the UK mentioned that England could possibly get drawn in a group with Brazil, France, and Nigeria, who of course are uh, African champions, and that, that could be England's you know, really tough group. Even oh, though that's what they put in the headline, even though within the article they actually mentioned that France can't get drawn in the same group as any of the African sides because yeah. of the way the group that they're going to be held. Yes, could um, Argentina face Portugal and France, for example? Portugal, it was it was mentioned that Portugal could be one of the because they they came from the the playoff uh, and, and that could be. Uh, I, I, at least I heard that Portugal could be Fran- France are going to be in a separate France, France are almost certainly going to be in a separate pot from all the other European seeds because, and, and they won't be drawn in the same sorry, France are almost certainly going to be in a separate pot from all of the other European teams and they're not going to be drawn in the same group uh-huh. as any of the African sides no, France, or any of the non-seeded South France American are in the same pot as all the Africans, Chile and Ecuador well, yeah, on this, on this simulates that we've run short, but that, oh, that is, that, oh. that's not official. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know. Uh, apart from anything else, if you then go on and simulate the results using that thing, they calculate the, the results wrong, because they use head-to-head record rather than goal difference to separate size level on points, mm-hmm. which is wrong, which isn't the point at which I stopped using it, because I'm that oh. much of a pedant. Um, <laughs> but it sounds interesting to see uh, Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo facing each other in, in the World Cup, because... Now, to now it was only Liga uh, from Spain, Spanish uh, Liga, and and perhaps uh, Champions League. And well, would be, I think it will be interesting. One of the the things about the internationals that have just been played, of course, to to drag this back onto the original point, uh, is that they didn't feature the NLS. Yeah. Are we encouraged yeah. by the displays that Argentina had as as Argentina? Fans already sympathisers. Are we encouraged by by their displays? Sin Messi. Um, I mean, um, worried I think at all about was the lack amazing. of. Amazing. Um, 
the Bosnia game was basically a, a weather show. He he scored the first goal, then he on on the second half, the the stadium was full of Bosnians basically, and um, on the second half he he gets a, a a little kick from a from a Bosnian defender, and when he's going down, he his face is transfixed and he pulls an insane kick towards the Bosnian defender. Um, Americans have no better idea than to show this again in the big screen for the whole stadium to see. Um, the referee sees the replay and gives him a yellow card and the whole stadium starts whistling at him, uh, throwing like plastic bottles at, at Aguero. And then uh, five minutes after that, Di Maria sets him up and with his left foot, he pulls an amazing body and just nails it in the, uh, in the top corner and didn't even... Didn't even celebrate the goal. He was just looking at everyone like, "Yep, that's me." That's my job. It was amazing, amazing. <laughs> and, and they all end up clapping him yes. when he goes out. But it's it was exactly yes. Exactly. No, yes. amazing. I'm shocked by. It. I think he could be the best player in the world in a couple of years' time. Like well, yeah, in a couple of years' time. Yeah, that's interesting. I wrote a piece a little while ago about Aguero being misused by Manchester City. And to a certain extent, I still think that he is because, in terms of being a pure finisher, there's maybe not been a run as good as him since Romario. Yeah. I'm not sure whether I can defend that point, but I think I'd, I think I'd agree with it. And it is frustrating for me as a Premier League viewer to watch Manchester City use him as a second striker more often than a finisher. Someone with his skill should be placed in front of the goal and, you know, given the chance to just put the ball in the net. And he spends far too much time outside the box and playing as the the third man in midfield. Or well, in which case you could say Argentina are misusing him as well. And Messi well, and Higuain. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. But without Messi this time, we saw that the alternative was uh, a sort of supply line with Di Maria hooking up with Aguero, and it got the best out of Aguero against Bosnia. And Di Maria as well, who we must say, three years ago when the pot began, we took piss out of him a bit. We didn't like him. He's the most one-footed player in the world. He was very inconsistent three years ago. Over the last year and a half to two years, amazing. I yeah, struggle for club or country. I, I struggle to, to think of. You know, I hate Madrid. I, I didn't particularly like Di Maria two years ago. Um, but it's very difficult to think of even an ordinary performance that he's put in. I mean, for Argentina particularly, he's developing this this thing. Yeah. Everybody says every single time he plays, and he's got three lungs. I mean, he just he runs. Yeah. And somebody put it when he was subbed <laughs> off against Bosnia. Somebody on Twitter said Di Maria even runs when he's being subbed off. Like, that's, <laughs> that's how his dedication to just yeah. And at the 85th minute, Bosnia get a corner kick, and on the counter attack, Di Maria grabs the ball outside of the Argentinian box and runs all the way to the. Bosnian he, box. He will run in La Paz when I exactly <laughs> the stamina of that guy. It's just it's shocking. And what's interesting is um, uh, apparently Sabella was trying out this five-three-two formation against Bosnia. Um, he's famous for this uh, because he won uh, the the championship a few years ago with Estudiantes with five defenders, three midfields, and two forwards. Won the championship, won the Copa Libertadores, and then took Barcelona very nearly exactly. beat Barcelona in the Club World Cup final. Um, exactly. Using this. And what's interesting to, to ask is, um, if, when Messi is... Uh, apparently he's going to use this formation for the big European teams, like Germany, Italy, and stuff. So who's he going to put in the bench when he uses a 
5-3-2? Is it going to be, of course, not Messi, but Di Maria, Aguero, or Iguain? Who is he going to put on the bench? Because you can't play 5-3-2 with four uh, attackers. Mm. So it's, interesting. Interesting question, it's an interesting yeah. question. I, I think it's going to be Aguero. And I think uh, even though he's great, uh, he's obviously, it's, it's amazing, but I, I can see Aguero as a second-half substitute mm. just to when everyone is yeah. tired you get him in and it's uh, he can just kill them with his speed and, and, and power yeah and another yeah. point before we leave the internationals behind because we don't want to dwell on them for, for too long or this podcast going to overrun um, as if that was something unusual um, is that the fullback positions are the one thing that we always mention blimey <laughs> schoolboy defending or what bloody hell um, sorry, we're looking at the television again. The, the fullback position are the ones that we always mention. That uh, the one point that Argentina has uh, have got to find something. We've got Sabaleta. Sanetti's back now. I mean, could Sanetti mm-hmm. possibly? You know, I'm, I'm not going to debate this at the moment. Maybe in, in He'll be there. four or five months' time, if, if he if he does well. Um, Lucas Orban, Sam Kelly's favourite left back in world football, as long-term Hanna Pod listeners will be aware. Never quite got over my anger at Almeida for kicking him out of River and then complaining that they didn't have any number threes afterwards hmm. um, got his first call up and got his first cap at senior level against Ecuador I have to admit that I missed most of the Ecuador match um, at least one person saw it because Rob was watching it from my sofa whilst I was cooking for myself um, but from what I heard Orban did alright yeah I thought the Ecuador game was interesting I'm not sure yet whether I think that Argentina were thoroughly outplayed in the first half or whether Sabella uh, was sort of pulling Mourinho Sabella Sabella yeah. oh, of course that's yes. the Italian yeah. right here. Uh, funny yeah I, I wasn't sure whether he was outplayed or he was shelling he was deliberately playing defensive and giving up possession in order to test the fullbacks out <laughs> against Opposition that you know the fullback thing is mentioned. and Roncaglia and Roncaglia on the right. And I thought, considering as we said that Argentina have had a very good year, they've got most of the 23 down. All that's really left to do now is take solid 11s and have the fullback positions have auditions, if you will, for those positions in matches that you can afford to experiment in. I thought it's possible that they use this match to experiment and test out contenders to go to this World Cup and it has I to be said if you're going to use if you're going to test out fullbacks then Ecuador yeah. are one of the sides yeah exactly when they have just Joseph Montero Antonio Valencia Antonio on the right, Valencia on the right. considering yeah. that they put everything through those players the fullbacks got a thorough workout hmm. Orban passed the test not necessarily yeah. with flying colours but he did a good job Ron Caglia I have to say flunked his audition uh, if he wasn't making errors uh there were times where it was clear that his relationship with his uh, winger was less than stellar. There was one occasion in the first half when I think Ava Benega had the ball in front of him mm. and passed it back to Roncaglia, who had run past him to go up the pitch, which left Ecuador 3v3, and somehow they didn't score. This was on one of the many occasions on which Ecuador penetrated down Argentina's right-hand side and should probably have taken the lead. Yeah. I was going to make that point when you said that they had back-to-back clean sheets. Having watched the Ecuador game, I think that was kind of misleading because there was no way they should have got out of that first half with no goals conceded. But in another way, this is encouraging from Sergio Romero's point of view because he frankly made a few mistakes in the last few qualifiers. Yes, yeah. Um, he appears to be back on form 
when playing for Argentina. It's, it's been said that his um, AFA is going to try and, um, and get him in, a, in an Argentinian club to get him some um, you know, game time. There have been rumours today, that the, or yesterday and today, that the AFA are going to pay some of his wages. San Lorenzo, the club who've been mentioned, but uh, they're going to basically pay the wages of any, yeah. any player who's in the national side, who's the is important and is struggling for game time in Europe. They're going to try and, and loan them back, give them playing time in an Argentine yeah. club. Uh, Lanús has also been thrown out as a, as a possibility. Roncaglia to Boca was mentioned, and then Boca's president, Daniel Akinisi, said, no, we don't want him. He, he pissed us off when he left before. Last time he went to Europe, uh, he didn't leave in a good way, so we're not interested. Um, but Romero clearly is, is, is the one they're thinking of, because Sabella yeah. has mentioned recently that if he still hasn't got any playing time in January, February, it's going to become an issue. Um, we shall see. We're going to be talking about Argentine goalkeepers in a very short moment. I'm going to play some music. We're going to come back and we're going to answer some questions. Sebastian Weisbrot asks first of all he says oh sorry so this one question over three tweets uh, considering last week's results which we've already told you about Sabella may have changed have altered this championship should there be stronger rules about this what he means is Maxi Rodriguez and Agustin Orion um, were taken to play or not play as it were um, in friendlies and he finds it outrageous for some context Seba is a Boca fan um, overall which is the Oh, sorry, that's, that's a, that is a separate question, in fact. So, the first one, uh, which I've been thinking about since I saw it this afternoon. Um, no, Sabella shouldn't be blamed for it, because the club presidents are the ones who voted in the idea that the Argentine League continues during FIFA dates. We mentioned yeah. this last week. Um, that's the stupid thing. They can't do that and then complain when he calls up a goalkeeper who, OK, might not get near the pitch, but who's clearly an important part of the group, um, who are... Uh, uh, Going to be, he wants together for as much as he can. Because international teams don't get to spend a lot of time together, and yeah. the group dynamic is an important thing That's to true. build. Yeah, Oriana's third goalkeeper, you know, it gets said a lot that the third goalkeeper often, even they're not, he's got, not going to get near the pitch at the World Cup, but that doesn't mean that he's not going to play an important part in, in team building in between matches. Um, as far as Max is concerned, he did play, and as I say, as well, I think Newell's certainly got the squad depth to, to worry about. But Boca knew this was going to happen when they yeah. signed Orion. This is why they signed Tripoli at the start of the season. Okay, Tripoli turns out not to actually be quite as good as he indicated he might be at Tigre, right? but but I, I think that Getty he, he might be right about well, Orion won't be the goalkeeper, the the, the, the one who starts the, the match because he will be Romero. Uh, he might be right, but he's also selfish with uh, with Orion because if Romero had a, a problem just uh, before the match started. And, Orion was the one who, uh, the, the, the goalkeeper the, in the starting lineup. Uh, that would be a very important match for Orion, not because of the of the friendly match, because but because of him trying himself as a as a as the, as the goalkeeper of the national team. Yeah. And and then she says, okay, well, but he could have called up some European goalkeeper. 
but you are you are saying that and Orion is in the middle. Yeah. So I, I have some doubts about that. And the other thing is, if he wasn't Argentine, he was being called up by a foreign national side. If he was Uruguayan and had been called up for for this match that's taking place as we record, there wouldn't have been eight, you know nobody would have said anything. No, Eder Alvarez Balanta and uh, Gutierrez obviously tails less of a loss for River at the moment. They've both been called up for friendlies for Colombia. I don't know whether Balanta played or not. Um, as I say, if he, if he did, then he made his debut for Colombia. Um, it's probably not going to happen, but if River gets sucked down into the relegation zone, if they have another awful Donnell final and end up going down by one point, then this match in which they failed to to get the points against Olimpo could prove vital. And we know that Balanta's important for, for River's defence. Is anybody then going to look back and blame Jose Pekeman for River getting relegated? No. So why blame Savela for Boca? Cocky up the league with a 3-2 defeat against Arsenal, which they might have got anyway, um, yeah. had, had Orion been in goal. Um, Sebastián then asks, overall, which is the best team in Argentina at the moment? Boca and Newell's depend too much on their old and key players. Would you say San Lorenzo? Personally, sure. I'd say Lanús. Lanús in form, uh, I'd say San Lorenzo in terms of quality. Yeah. yeah Lanús and just uh, a little behind San Lorenzo. Yeah. Uh, Phil Carney asks, I uh, probably should have tweeted, replied to him when he first asked this but I didn't see it, but it is worth mentioning on the pod anyway. He says, what's the address for email questions? Because it might be a slightly longer one than Twitter allows for. Uh, the address to send emails into is sam at astaelgoldsiempre.com If you click on, if that's too long for you then go to my Twitter, click on the link to it and it's sam at that URL. Um, somebody called Cabuster asks, is Dos Estados that Santiago as manly and handsome as he sounds? Yeah, yes. Uh, I'd say I'd say more so. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. Joshua <laughs> Bramlett says probably off topic, but any update on the Copa America Centenary Edition 2016? Don't think so. Yeah, the next one's being played in Chile in 2015. It's, they're, they're skipping alphabetical order because, of course, Brazil have got the World Cup anyway next year to worry about. Uh, so the next one in 2015 is in Chile, and then they're, they're doing it basically the same way that the prelude to the first Copa America was done in Uruguay in 2015 followed by the actual Copa sorry in Argentina in 2015 followed by the actual Copa America in Uruguay in 2016 um, but I don't think so yet as far as I'm aware I presume that Josh is asking because he is I know that he's, he's American and the states have been invited to it but no no updates as yet uh, Phil Carney says only a few rounds left in the league who's been your signing of the Torneo Inicial hmm Silence descends on Hannah yeah. Pod Towers. You have to consider about 500 players because everyone signs every year. You do, uh, don't you? I'm, ten- I'm tempted to say um, could be Silva, could be Gago, could be um, Tresegay. Nah. Tresegay could be a shout if you haven't missed that penalty. Yeah. <laughs> We, we did predict some signings of the Doneo Inicial before the season began and I deliberately didn't read them out in the first episode because we're going to go back in the Doneo Inicial review episode and laugh at ourselves basically or laugh at I remember, in I many remember cases my, people who aren't actually there because yeah. we're not all going to be recording my today. worst signing was Fabro and um, me, me, I think that's certainly me. been held up to be true he was one of my potential signings of the season yeah um, <laughs> And I think, he was quite I think good, pretty much everybody agreed that Terry Gutierrez was going to be one of the best and yeah. he's been pretty sorely wrong as well. Exactly. Um, that's it. I believe that's, that's all the questions. So now, because we don't have very much time, because Santi's got to play football in 18 minutes' time, and Uruguay, Jordan, has 
Oh, ten minutes to go, so we've got a little bit of time. Um, fortunately, Santi's only playing football about two metres away from his front door. Um, we're going to go away, and you'll hear in a few seconds Mystic Sam's predictions, which hopefully will be better than the last round, for the 17th round of the Doneo Inicial. Okay, Mystic Sam's predictions are Vélez Sarsfield against Godoy Cruz on Friday night and went for a Vélez win. Argentinos Juniors against Quilmes, as I mentioned very briefly to Santi earlier, I think is going to be a home victory. Olimpo de Bahia Blanca against Rosario Central looks to me like a Central win. Atletico Rafael against San Lorenzo. We didn't really mention the title running, did we? Or why Rafaela might be favourites. Rafaela, if they get given the points or if they win that match against Colón, um, would go level on points with league leaders San Lorenzo if they win this game. I think it's going to be a draw. Rafaela have also still got to play Lanús, haven't they, I think? Um, basically, all of the top six are only three points behind if we give Rafaela three points for the Colón game. It's insanely even. They're only three points apart, and they've all got to play at least one of the other yeah. top six in these last three matches. Um, Lanús against Gimnasia, I'm going to go for, obviously, Lanús to get a sixth win out of six. Newell's Old Boys against Arsenal, I'm calling a draw. Boca Juniors against All Boys is... I can only see a, a Boca win there, really. All Boys have changed manager, by the way, uh, following that defeat yes, against Lanús. Julio Cesar Falcioni resigned for the second time in about three weeks and this time his resignation was accepted and they have named uh, uh, Ricardo, Ricardo Rodriguez. Rodriguez thank you I almost said Ricardo Rojas um, <laughs> Ricardo Rodriguez who's former Atletico Tucumán manager he's got his first Primera División and before we gig. go defensa de justicia uh, yeah. coach when River was in the National League yes yeah. uh, Racing against River the weekend big Clásico are we excited for Racing River <laughs> the oldest Clásico in Argentina <laughs> One of the most prestigious, and certainly the match to miss this weekend. Uh, I'm going for a draw in Avellaneda. Nobody's even noticed that's happening, which is most bizarre. Yeah. Belgrano versus Tigre, um, another draw there. And Estudiantes de la Plata versus Colón de Santa Fe, if it happens, I think is obviously going to be an Estudiantes win. Anybody disagree with any of those? Bear in mind that nine of them, given my recent record, are probably not going to happen. Well, I'd just like to place uh, Mystic Sam's predictions in context, because... Earlier on this evening, you predicted Uruguay versus Jordan would have more than three goals in it. Sam, no, the I, current score? I, I, <laughs> I bet on that. I didn't necessarily oh, okay. predict it. So I thought that the odds were, were reasonable for it. But it's currently nil-nil with six minutes to go. Five and a half minutes to go, sorry. Um, that's your lot for Hand of Pod this week. Thank you very much to Rob for coming on. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure having you. Uh, thank you to Santi for hosting. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to Andres for making the 25-minute commute to get here. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to me for, well, editing it, I suppose. A message to myself in the future. We hope you've enjoyed yourselves. We hope you've enjoyed listening, more importantly. And goodbye for now. (laughs) 